In the name of God, who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I have to tell you that seeing those of you who are here in person does not get old. Um, just before we came in, the, the last couple of you, by, by the end of seeing most of you come in this morning, I was already crying, and I said to Pam and Don on the way in, am I just going to cry through every church service now? Is that what's going to happen? And they both sort of nodded and said yes. <laughs> so that's where we are. <laughs> it's very good to see those of you who are here in person, and I'm glad that so many of you are joining us online as well. This morning, we have a difficult passage again in the gospel, and I told you all who were here last week that I was hoping to come back to some really celebratory texts, you know, where Jesus is really loving and kind and everything's really kind of neat and tidy, and that's just not who we have this morning, and that's okay. This morning, the question that I want us to think about most together is, what is the gospel? And I know that sounds like a very simple question, but it's really not. So what is the gospel? The word gospel actually comes from an old Anglo-Saxon English word, originally um, often God spell, funny enough. But what it really means is good story. The word gospel in its original English setting means good story. And it's the English rendering of the Greek word evangelion, or if you want to make it sound more English, evangelion, which should start to sound like evangel, which is a familiar sort of stem, right? And that is Greek for the words good news. So these gospels that we have, if you open the Bible and you look at them, almost all of them begin with some kind of nod to the fact that this is the gospel according to so-and-so. Right? The gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew. This is the good news of Jesus according to somebody. And in the Bible, as, as you know, we have four canonical gospels, four books that have been chosen. And they're all a little different. Mark, who we heard from this morning, sort of tells the story of Jesus like he's a little kid who can't wait to tell you what happened. It's sort of just this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and there's no description. There's nothing else to help you there except one event after the other. Matthew and Luke give you a little more description. You get a little more information about who Jesus is and what he's after and what his words mean. And of course, by the time we get to John, John was written so much later, John is a poet. John is a theologian. John is giving us the meaning behind everything. He's, he's trying to tell us what it means to have Jesus come into the world. How it changes everything to have the cosmic Messiah appear. John is so much later, he's able to give us some, some thought and some explanation about what all that means. How it should change things for us. But even though they come from three different evangelists, there's that word again, which essentially, casually, if we were going to translate it, basically means these are the good news guys. These are the good news people who are writing to us and to the world about the good news of Jesus. That's really kind of what the Gospels have in common. They're written by different people. They tell slightly different stories. But at the end of the day, they're all about the good news of Jesus. And what is that good news? What is that good story? Well, if we oversimplify it a lot, it's that Jesus comes to live with us, 
He comes to be like us, then he dies, and then he lives again. He chooses to be like us so that eventually we can learn to be like him. That's it. That's the good news in a nutshell. Very short. He lives, he dies, he lives again, so that we who live and die might also live again. Is that what you would have said about the gospel? Somebody stops you in the elevator, is that your answer? The text this morning encourages us to do a couple of things. First, I think you've probably heard loud and clear in the epistle that we are supposed to be careful about how we talk, what we say, what we put out into the world. We're supposed to be mindful of that. But Jesus calls us not just to pay attention to how we talk, but also to what we do, right? In the gospel, there's, there's this serious line about taking up our own cross. And here's the thing about the gospel. It is good news, but it requires a lot of us. It, the cost of following Jesus and choosing to live out the gospel life actually is very, very high, right? Because if we look at Jesus and what he means by take up your cross, well, let's just look at his. That's a serious thing to take up. That's a serious thing to walk up the road to Calvary. So when he tells us to take up ours, you know, I have to imagine that it's a little easier for us, right? We are not the incarnate, begotten children of God. Beloved, though we are, we are not the Savior coming into the world. But still, we shouldn't expect that take up your cross means it's going to be easy. We shouldn't expect that the cost won't be high if we choose to follow him, if we choose to make this gospel part of our lives. And yet that seems to be, especially at the, at the end of the passage, exactly what Jesus wants us to do. I mean, listen to this part again. Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed. I am fairly sure that we do not want Jesus to be ashamed of us. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Because if he's talking about his words, he's talking about the good news. He's talking about the gospel, that we're not supposed to be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul, several years later, puts a very fine point on that and tells us we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, that even though the gospel looks like folly, his word, folly to the world, it's not. It's not, and we, we can't be ashamed of it. And I, I think ashamed is sort of a hard word, isn't it? I think for most of us, it's easy to kind of brush that off. Oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of my faith. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. It sounds, I think for most of us, that sounds too harsh, you know, almost like it's not reachable. So if we think more broadly about what that could mean, is it that sometimes we're afraid to speak up? Is it that sometimes we're afraid to give witness to the hope that is within us? Is it that sometimes we don't say or do the thing we know we should say and do? Maybe for us it's not so much ashamed as limited, as quiet, as silent, as we hold back. We don't live fully the way that we could. We don't do all the things we could. We don't love as fully as we could. Maybe it's not shame so much, because I think in our context that has a very specific connotation, but maybe all of us, and I do mean all of us, 
have those moments and those seasons when we know we fall short of what the gospel intends us to do because, my friends, the cost is high. <laughs> the gospel is countercultural. It doesn't fit into the world that we live in. It didn't fit for Paul, which is why he said it, it looks like folly to the people who don't believe in it, and it still doesn't really fit now, right? I mean, the world encourages us to constantly explore our own journey as individuals, to think of ourselves as islands unto ourselves who are having this very special journey. And listen, your special journey is very important to God. It really is. But we also are called over and over in, a, in the text to remember that we are part of a collective. We're part of a people. We are never just individuals, islands unto ourselves. Everything we do has an effect on someone else. And scripture reminds us that we are constantly in relationship. So that's one thing. I think the world, too, invites us to be hung up on our own power, on our own privilege, on our own ability to secure things and defend ourselves and, again, sort of stand on our own two legs. And, you know, the text, the scripture, the gospel at the end of the day continues to say that we're not supposed to be powerful. We're not supposed to be violent. We're not supposed to be defensive. We're supposed to actually be pretty passive. We're supposed to be loving and kind. I think the world encourages us to imagine all of these things. Perhaps most grievously, the world encourages us to imagine that we aren't enough. That we aren't good enough. That we aren't smart enough. That we aren't pretty or handsome or articulate enough. The world is constantly telling us that we're not enough of something or that we don't have enough of something. I mean, if you go a whole day without hearing one or both of those messages, you must not have turned on the television or the radio or spoken to anyone on the phone. This is the biggest lie that maybe the world ever tells us, that we aren't enough. And yet, in our baptism, we hear that just as we are, we are we are infinitely worthy of the love that the creator of the universe has made us to receive. We are infinitely worthy of dignity and respect. Not because we did anything to earn that, but simply because the creator of the universe said so. <laughs> because we were made in the image of God. Because we carry that love and that dignity and that holy spark within us. So the gospel itself is countercultural. It, it says the opposite of the world at almost every turn. And if you find yourself then trying to say those things as well, maybe you have. There are certainly moments when people won't believe you, when they'll mock you, when they'll think you sound a little silly at best, when they might have worse things to say to you, when you choose to believe in justice and equality instead of division, when you choose to share instead of hoard, whenever it is you decide to as the epistle suggests, share brightness and lightness and love instead of, well, those are hard words, but evil and poison is what the epistle says this morning. The gospel wants something very different from us in response to this good news of Jesus Christ. Within it, there is, though, good news for us. And it's that you are made in the image of God. 
You are beloved. You are known deeply. There's nothing about you that God doesn't see and doesn't love. In your baptism, you're claimed by the Holy Spirit and you're marked as Christ's own forever. And even in this season when we're only receiving the bread, every time you come forward and receive bread, you are taking the mysterious presence of Christ into yourself. So you are made, literally, and claimed and marked and fed so that you, like the evangelist, can go into the world and be the good news guys or the good news people. The cost of that is sometimes high. The truth is it's really the only good way to live. So this morning I'd ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say about the gospel? What would you say about the good news of Jesus? How are you talking about that, living that? Because the truth is there are hearts that only you can reach. There's work that only you can do. You have a unique spot in this story. So what would you say? What would you do? How is it that you are part of the good news, people? How is it that you are transformed by this story and transforming the world around you as well? What is the gospel? Amen.